Hello, hello. My name is Dr. Rachel Gainsbrew, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property, seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor podcast. Welcome, Jeff. It is so good to see you. I feel like we do this like on a cycle of some sort, because when it comes to investing in short-term rentals, it's absolutely important for us to get our whole lives together. And one of the number one things I tell my members is to get mortgage ready for your investing, unless you're fortunate enough to be investing with all cash. Most of us need mm -hmm. to leverage mortgages and a little bit of other me other people's money, the banker's money, in order to get that going. And one of the cheat codes that we use in our community is the 10% download. So last week I shared with you guys the tea. I spilled the tea. When we got back from Cabo, we just laid it out. We laid it bare for you to show you step by baby step on how you can get started with as little down as possible. And one of the ways that we do that again is my favorite is the 10% percent down loans that many of you would be able to qualify for in the community. Your investment strategy is in alignment with your goals and with your profit margins and with your vision for your future. This is what I meant, guys, because some of you think that when I'm speaking luxury, I mean, you're going to spend millions of dollars on investing, but that is not necessarily true. And I mean that with my whole heart. And that's why I bring in the guns, the top guns and the resources in our community. And it is the one and only Jeff Chisholm. He is one of the top 10% down loan originators in the entire United States. He specialized specifically in second home loans, short-term rental loans, vacation rental loans. I know that we use those words kind of interchangeably because that is one of the tenets, I think. For me personally, I'm not a financial advisor. My attorneys would want me to say that. But for me, I like to put as little down as possible so that I have an opportunity to reinvest or bolster my my cash reserves as needed. So definitely, if you're here with me, let me know that you're here. Let's dive right in because we're going to learn a lot. This is going to be really important. This is your opportunity to get your questions answered. And here's the deal. Things are ever evolving in the mortgage world. And I know some of you are like wondering, oh, is now the time to invest? <laughs> Feel free to introduce yourself to the people and let's get right down to it. No, I'm super excited to be here. A lot of times in uncertain environments, people will pull back to a certain extent where true investors, it's, my son's a firefighter. So I kind of think of it in the terms of 
firefighters run the fires everybody while everybody else is running away. So with all the things that are happening in our current environment, I think a lot of people are running away where you may want to just pay attention because there's going to see, there's going to be some opportunities in a less crowded space than what we've experienced the past couple of years. But that, that's just my commentary on the current environment. But yeah, Jeff Chisholm, I've been originating for 15 years. I am a top 1% loan originator in the United States. I don't say that to brag. Well, maybe just a little bit, but it is just to communicate the level that we operate at. We didn't fall into that. It's because we work hard. We do things the right way. We offer an excellent service and excellent value to our clients. So, but yeah, I, 100% of my business these days is helping clients in this asset class. So buying in this asset class in all 50 states, 90% of my clients are using the 10% down second home occupancy loan. And then Roughly about the other 10% are using the DSCR loan, the debt service coverage ratio loan. But I think we really want to focus on the 10% loan since that's more than likely the majority of our audience. And yeah, we'll look forward to answering some questions. So I, and the other thing that I would mention that I think is really important is that I am an investor myself. So I own two properties in North central Arkansas. So Anybody out there that's looking to stay in, imagine the Ozarks, hills, trees, beautiful lakes. You're looking to stay in in Arkansas anytime, send me a DM. I'll send you the link to my property. But it's been a great space for myself and our family to enjoy, but we've seen significant cash flow and it's outperformed our expectations. So that's been great. So when I have consultation calls with people, I, I can speak the language. I can walk the walk. It's not just lip service that I think this is a great asset class to invest in. I'm investing in it myself. But yeah, the 10% down single home occupancy loan, it's been a huge opportunity for us to educate people on what that product is and who it's for, because there's so much misinformation out there that I like to say it's the day and age of Google, people just looking up the information themselves and finding the wrong information, but it's really being communicated by loan officers. And the scenarios that I've found that are common is one, people will go to a loan officer and say, Hey, I want to buy an investment property and they get thrown in an investment property loan. So it's 15 to 20. If you want the best rates, it's 25% down, higher interest rate, and you got put into a prop or a product for a rental home, a rental house, a, a landlord loan, which they would have just asked you questions. Hey, I see you living in Chicago. You're buying a house in Florida. That's a vacation destination area. Are you planning on staying there? Well, yeah, absolutely. We're planning on going down there as much as we possibly can. Just that one question would have led down a path of, okay, well, let's explore a second home occupancy loan, a 10% down second home occupancy loan. So see that as a common scenario. Anytime anyone mentions, even if they were to mention, we want to stay in the home, but we want to rent it. As soon as someone says rent, they go down the wrong road, but really it comes down to just the loan officer knowing the policy. And so that's where it started for me. 
probably six or seven years ago, came across an email that there were ch changes being made by Fannie Mae. I thought it was significant. I stuck in my back pocket. And yeah, here a few years ago, it became a very valuable information that started with knowledge and then a complete understanding and led to doing deals and vetting out that understanding and showing that understanding was true. So that's, it's a proven understanding of the policy that not all loan officers have and not to their fault necessarily, because most loan officers, 98% of their business is working with clients on purchases and refinances for their primary residence. So they just aren't in that lane very often. And so that's where we're different. And that's where we've really found the opportunities. We've committed ourselves to knowing the policy so we can educate people with the correct information. And I, as much as I've presented this and shared this information with hundreds and hundreds of people on consultation calls, I still find people telling me, Jeff, I wish I would have talked to you two years ago when we bought our first one, or when I was told I need 20% and we've been skipping as many cups of coffee as we possibly can. And we still can't come up with that 20% down payment. So it's still so many opportunities to educate people to the point where I'm going to start a podcast. And so I started my podcast in December. Yeah. STR home financing. If you guys want to check that out, I guess the term is micro podcast because the goal is that they're less than 10 minutes. So you can jump in there. You can get some really good information around the product, the latest, greatest strategies and what's going on in the world, but also educating people as well. But you and I have taught before that there are some misconceptions about the product. There's some common misunderstandings like distance requirements. And that's probably the one I get the most, but yeah. some of the basics are just to rattle them off real quick. It's got to be a one unit property. It's got a single family home or town homes. Condos are really out of the question in these destination type areas because of Fannie shift towards only wanting to do deals in developments where the majority of the units are owner occupied as a primary residence. So Destin, Florida, coastal Carolina, these beach communities, they're, these condos are usually people's second homes, so they don't meet the Fannie requirements, but Sometimes they do. Your realtors, the best one to know what kind of financing people are using. But Nashville, areas where it's a metropolis area, you like to go and stay. There are condos. There's a good chance they may be, or they may meet those Fannie standards for the their condo rules, what they deem as a warrantful condo. But yeah, that that's kind of the basics as far as property. Throw, throw me a question, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like no, no, this is great. No, I think it's really important that the audience hears a little bit of the misconceptions because I do want to reemphasize that the number one reason that we hear some of these misconceptions, like you said, Jeff, is not being plugged into a community where there's STR expertise, right? And right. not no fault of their own. I've met um, wonderful realtors who have led individuals astray. I've met wonderful tax professionals 
who have led individuals astray and as well as lenders. And it is no fault of their own. They are working within the confines of their knowledge base and they want to do things correctly. And so what they think is okay, there may be some caveats available if you reposition yourself and staying plugged into a community that is focused on short-term rentals with the short-term rental experts is the biggest difference. Okay. So I already received the question last week is, oh, don't you have to be at a certain distance? And I would have thought to myself, yes, until I met you, Jeff, and I learned so much. I told my loan person that we were using it as a second home. It was close to my husband family, and they still told me it was an investment property. What do you say, Jeff? Yeah, so if it would be a problem if their family lived one neighborhood over from their neighborhood. So they lived in a subdivided community and two streets away, their family was living and they wanted to buy a home there. Yeah, that's that doesn't make much sense, but they live in one state, the family lives in another state, or even one city, the family lives in another city where it makes sense they travel to to have the overnight stays. But yeah, the policy, and this is a great segue into the primary number one bullet point in the site home occupancy policy is your intention has to be that you're going to occupy the property at some point during that first year. So there's no, that's the other thing is along with distance that I get a lot of times is I've got to stay in an X amount of days or I can't stay in it uh, beyond X amount of days. So to answer that question, yeah, that, that sounds like a textbook site home occupancy loan, but the lanes that I see gets crossed on the amount of days that you have to stay or the IRS rules around where does it go from business use to personal use? Because we, when we're not staying with them, we're going to rent these out on a short-term basis. We want the write-offs. We want the accelerated depreciation, which I'm not answering questions about that. I'm not a, I'm not a CPA, but I can say that people do get those mixed up and there's no set amount of days that you can stay in it or you can't stay in it. Now I will say on the CPA or on the IRS rules where it goes from business use to personal use, you and this goes to your point of you want to be plugged into a CPA that knows real estate investing. They know short-term rentals because they will know you can exclude those days that you're in the property from your personal use if you're working on the home or you're doing maintenance. So I'll throw that out there if it ever comes up that you've got that little bit of bonus information. But yeah, talk to your licensed CPA that specializes on short-term rentals. I love that. I love that. I know you don't have the crystal ball. Can you give an overview of your view of the interest rates for 2023? That is the elephant in the room, isn't it? It <laughs> Great is. Yeah, so, Thank you, Quay. Yeah. So I, I really think. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I really think by the spring, we're going to see rates drop about a percent from where they are now. 
And by the end of the year, I think we'll see a drop of about one and a half percent from where we are right now. So that's a little bit of a loaded question because I think people ask that to me, I think people ask that, okay, so when are you telling me I should buy? When, when should I be more interested in moving on something? So what I'll say to that, if that's your motive behind the, the question is that's the same motive as millions of people out there. So what you're going to do, because we see it all the time. I get an uptick in applications as soon as Yahoo News or the Wall Street Journal says that rates dropped because now they think, okay, now's my time to do something. And so if you're waiting for the rates to drop, to go out there and start looking, so is everyone else. And now you've become a part of this larger population of people in the market that are looking for the same properties you are. So when I started out the conversation that true investors run to these types of markets, it is because they're less crowded, they're less competitive. So we're not having to do the things that people are having to do the past two years where you were waiving inspections and option periods and you're having to waive appraisal contingencies and offer crazy amounts of release price. So if you like to play that game, sure, wait until the rates drop. Otherwise, now is the time to take action while there's less people in the market. The phrase that is, has kind of been common in this high rate environment is marry the house and date the rate. Cause you can come back and you can refinance that rate, but to find that property and get into a deal is just going to become harder and harder as rates go down. Did I explain that clear? Does that make sense, Rachel? No, that was beautiful. And for everyone else in the gallery, he's wondering where Jeff is coming from with this. I would agree wholeheartedly because the deals that are being made now are deals that I hadn't seen in the last two years. I'm talking about seller concessions and opportunities, whereas once the rates are down, then there might not be that type of benefit available. So I, I'm with you wholeheartedly. Courtney's asking, what is the max loan for a DSCR? And that I think that's a good segue too. Could we talk about the loan maximums as well for DSCR as well as our second home loan, the FHA product? Yeah, no, that, that's great. That's a great question. So the conforming loan limit for 2023, which is crazy, if you go look, do a Google search on the conforming, the history of the conforming loan limit, we spent like something crazy, like 12 years at 417,000. And this was just like six, seven years ago. The conforming loan limit for 2023 is $726,200, $200. So yeah, if we're just doing a, a first lien, 726,200 with 10% down, you could go up to a purchase price of 807,000. Now we can go, we can do a piggyback second with the bank that I'm originating for up to 250,000. So we can actually raise that another 250,000, still do the 10% down. So yeah, this year 
with that loan structure, that put us over a purchase price well over a million dollars. So about as much as most people want to do in this space with the 10% down. DSCR is going to vary by lender. I've seen DSCR loans where you could go up to 5 million. Most common is probably 2 million. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty significant amount. Awesome. I know you said you're not discussing DSCR, but I need one. This is a condo tell. Is that something that you can do? A condo tell. Talk to us about it. And first of all, Jeff, what is a condo tell? Yeah, so we can do condo tells. So condo tells are really a hybrid between a hotel and a condo. So typically you're going to have like a check-in desk. People can walk in and condos are going to be available kind of on the spot in some instances. So it really operates like a hotel, but you have individual owners that own these units. So yeah, that's what a, a condo tell is for the most part. Awesome. So for condo tells, why is it a little bit difficult to get, Not I wouldn't say difficult, but why is it different to get a loan for a condo tell that typically there are certain parameters that you have to meet to to qualify for an FHA. And then for the most part, though, it's a business purpose loan, like a DSCR. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, the like I said earlier, the Fannie Mae kind of pulled back a couple of couple of years ago from wanting to do deals in developments where primarily the units were not owner occupied as a primary residence. So in the destination areas, you don't find a lot of developments that are Fannie Mae warrantable because they're people's second homes. So in that there's the risk factors involved with those types of properties. And then the risk factors are kind of elevated when you've got a condo tell that operates kind of a, as a hybrid hotel. And a lot of times you'll have investors that own multiple units in the property. So, and you're talking about shared space, you're talking about shared responsibilities, you're talking about organizational structures where you're sharing expenses on the maintenance of the building. So it just becomes very involved, very somewhat convoluted and a lot of layers and a lot of things that potentially can go wrong. And so when you're talking about collateral with the bank, they don't like things that are necessarily seen as risky. And when you get all those different elements involved, they see that as risky. Okay. So that makes sense. And I think that's something really important for the members of the community to understand the differences between a condo tell, a single family home, or a condo that is warrantable. So members of our community, they typically do use a DSCR loan to purchase a condo tell. And let's see, as far as any DSCR loans, do you have any products that you're aware of that's available for that, Jeff? Yeah, so we can do a condo tell with our DSCR loan. It's typically going to require a higher down payment because of the risk levels. So typically you're going to put 30% down on that. New investors 
on just a single family home or one unit property townhome, are going to put 25% on that type of property experienced investors. So you've owned a property, a cash flow producing property within the past 12 months, that's typically going to be 20%. And that's kind of the industry standard these days. So we had seen DSCR loans with as low as 15% down. And that's one of those products as the economy, the environment that we're in is a little shaky and stable where investors start to pull back. And in this case, they pulled back and just required more of a down payment. Where the pro- the product that I have access to, the reason why it is valuable in this space is that the investor that we work with will still consider short-term rental income uh, to, I'm sorry, air DNA data from short-term rental income to prove the one-to-one ratio. So the reason why that's important is a lot of investors only use long-term rental comps and it's much harder to meet the ratios that you need to show for an approvable DSCR loan. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it's really important, especially if you're looking to invest, knowing your numbers and knowing what AirDNA is saying will, I think will serve you well. But that's awesome that you have a product that would leverage comps using the air DNA data as opposed to just the 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 long-term rental data, which is usually not feasible in the vacation rental market. Okay, so they also told me 20% down. Yes, they live in one city and we were looking into the next city. We would stay there one time a month. So circling back on her question about the relative that lives that has a property that is nearby. So she says that they live in one city. We were looking into the next city. We would stay there one time per month. So any, did that change anything for you? So can they actually name the city? So they live in this city. They're looking to buy a property in this city. So if she doesn't put 20% down, will there be PMI? Which is a great question also. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no PMI when you put down 20%. What I tell clients on the 10% down second home occupancy loan, there is PMI when you only put down 10%. But, and I will say most of my clients have high credit scores, but because it's an owner-occupied product, the rates are fairly low. So they're like 0.2. Most of my clients on PMI rates, they're getting 0.2 to 0.23%. So that's 0.2 to 0.23% of the loan amount. And then they don't have to wait the typical six to seven years to pay the loan down. And then it disappears based on the amortization schedule. They're actually eligible to have a new appraisal done after two years to get that removed. So you don't have to get a refinance. You don't have to wait six or seven years to pay the loan down. You can actually get it removed potentially after just a couple of years. Any thoughts on midterm rentals? Most likely would be condos around a hospital. So an investment loan, any other financing ideas? So thinking outside of the box, any initial thoughts on that, Jeff? Well, it just depends on how many units you're going to buy and, you know, where it is in relation to your primary residence. So 
I have medical professionals that live in the suburb and the hospitals in the city, they'll buy a condo as a second home. And because it is in a metropolis area where, you know, these developments, for the most part, people are utilizing as their primary residence and very few are being utilized as a second home. They do qualify as a warrantable condo for Fannie. So you can do the 10% down loan. So yeah, even if you live in the suburbs, you are looking to buy a condo in the city, it could make sense that you use that 10% down loan. But otherwise, if you're going to buy multiple units, then maybe you buy the first one with the 10% down loan, and then you buy the additional units with an investment property loan. But in that case... You would need at least 15% and you get the much better pricing if you put down 20 or 25%. Awesome. Awesome. I love that. And so one thing that I would ask you to take into consideration, that's why we spoke and even mentioned tax professionals as well is one of the strategies that a lot of the members in our community use is they'll manage the property as a short-term rental the first year to get those cost segregation, bonus depreciation benefits for year one. And then year two, they would then position the property as a midterm rental because as a short-term rental host, less than seven days is the tax threshold for the stays in order to benefit from those short-term rental benefits. But again, I am not a tax professional or your financial advisor. It's just something to consider as well. Can a cost segregation study be done with the second home loan? So different lane than mine. So that's more of a tax question, but it does not affect the second home occupancy loan. So yeah, absolutely. My lake house that I purchased with the 10% down second home occupancy loan I've got a cost segregation. I took accelerated depreciation, all those good things. So yeah, but yeah, you that that's more of a tax question than as a, a loan question. Now, one thing that that I forgot to mention about the question about the midterm rentals is one of the reasons I will always go with Fannie is because they have the most liberal policy when it comes to the occupancy requirements. So you sign a rider at closing, it's a second home occupancy rider. It kind of lays out the, the parameters around the occupancy. And one of the things that Fannie Mae has in their policy is that you are only bound to those occupancy requirements for one year. So that means after one year, if you wanted to convert it into a long-term rental, or if you wanted to do longer stays, you with no issues because kind of the way I explain it is even there, there's no amount of days, kind of the bottom line is you can't put yourself in a position in that first year where you would lose the ability to occupy that property when you wanted to. So the best way to explain it is, is like, yes, overstate, they're welcome. You could call the sheriff and have, you could file trespassing charges. Now in whatever state you have the property, if you had a guest who in the eyes of the law of the state is staying there X amount of days, they become an actual tenant. They have tenant rights. That goes from a situation and that's typically 30 days for most states. So that's kind of one 
kind of get them to the midterm game. So that's probably something you'd want to stay away from in the first year. But if you had them, if you let them stay there for more than 30 days, they have tenant rights that, and they overstay their welcome. That goes to a situation where now you're having to take them to court to get them evicted. And that might pose an issue and a problem with your ability to occupy that property during that first year. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that complexity that th definitely throws a monkey wrench into into it as well. So both from a tax perspective and a legal perspective, it seems like the first year being a short-term rental is ideal. And then positioning as a midterm rental would be the easiest way through there. So, well, And it's also amazing that realtors have more time on their hands to give a higher level of service. So yeah, I'm connected with some of these realtors or realtors in different markets that I'm interested in, and they're pinging me more than ever. Hey, how can I help? What can I do? So this may be a good time to have those conversations with realtors about their networks and how maybe they're identifying some even better opportunities where they're having conversations with their network to find out that there's properties coming on the market before they go live. So yeah, maybe a good time to reach out to realtors that you visited with them in the past. And they may have a little bit more time on their hands to be a little bit, bit more strategic about pursuing properties in, in the market that you're interested in. I love it. Do you loan in California? I do all 50 states. Yeah. So that's the, it's not by accident that I'm aligned with the FDIC insured at bank where I can lend wherever they want to. Because I found as I got into this space and I committed myself to this space that not everyone is completely decided on where they want to buy. So the advantage with being able to originate in all 50 states is you may be interested in four or five different areas, but you just are unsure about the numbers. You don't know what things look like. You don't know what you qualify for. And when we have uncertainty, it just doesn't put us in a position to kind of take that next step. So when I tell people, hey, it's not important. Don't worry about it. Don't put stress on yourself to decide where you want to buy before you put in an application. Put in the application because my pre-approval letter will travel where you decide to do a deal. The important thing is I can equip you with some specific information around the price range you're in. So giving you the PITI numbers, the cash to close numbers, give you that letter. But you know, when we're equipped, we're educated and I tell you, absolutely, I give you the green light to go. It's going to put you in a position where you feel like you can take action wherever you decide to buy a property. I love that. I love that. Cause that is the first step. And this is something that we advocate, get yourself mortgage ready to get that pre-approval because that's going to be the one of the best ways to get your deal done get your deal get your foot in the door to put in an offer that is going to be taken really seriously by your realtor and the seller what types of rates are you seeing at the moment on dscr and are there points no that is a great question so i'm not going to quote specific rates because then i have to go into this legal disclaimer 
But I will tell you, if you've shopped interest rates on the second home occupancy loans with most lenders, they have quoted you something that probably shocked you. And then they went into the points that it cost that probably knocked you on the ground at that point. With the bank that I'm with, they've established a, a leveraged relationship with a investor who are doing the second home occupancy loans, but because it's a leveraged relationship, they've got a product where they've knocked off those points. So if you've talked to a lender recently and they've said, yeah, it's gonna, here's the rate, and then it's gonna be three to four points, we've eliminated those with this relationship. So it's a huge deal. So the, the rates are pretty close to what you would get on a primary residence. And then there's not the exorbitant fees associated with the points. DSCR loans are typically going to run about two to three percent higher than what you would get on the second home occupancy loan. And I am well, I the awesome thing about being in the space is the people that I come across and get to visit with. And I am more than happy to have consultation calls and individual conversations about your ability to qualify and what those rates may look like. That's awesome. And thank you for that. I cannot emphasize being in the right community because there is a lot of misinformation out there. And what we're doing here is we are dispelling any of the misinformation and we are demystifying the process of getting into a short-term rental, okay? Can we talk about down payments? Okay, so this is phenomenal. Excellent credit, 15K and a 401K. Her husband doesn't want her to touch the equity in the house and the house is paid in full. So they're considering, I know. What a great place. These are called quality problems, I would say. This is a quality problem. House is paid in full niches inside of our community. So definitely you can tap in with Jeff. So she's asking about the 401k. Are there any other options that I have to come up with a down payment? I have a property that I'm interested in that has great numbers for str it's 750k it's just a down payment that's stopping me from moving forward what are your opinions and i understand when it comes to husbands we love our husbands and our spouses and our significant other and our partners and we want to honor them during this journey because it's them that keeps us from jumping off the ledge i know for me personally (laughs) but at the same time i do know that i had to give my darling some some scenarios to get some buy-in. That's one of the things I'm thinking about, although I don't like to tap into primary home situations. But Jeff, what do you think? What do you think? What are your thoughts? Well, this is such a great segue into Mike's podcast that will drop. So no better time than the present to go and subscribe to the STR Home Financing Podcast because the episode will go into some details around my favorite strategy to fund down payment closing costs and making the property rent ready, but making it comfortable for a family's finances. So I really don't think people need to 
find out how many cups of coffee they need to skip to get to a down payment or how many, I, it's funny. I did a talk and my, I titled it that my wife said, you don't even like coffee. Why don't you call it? How many rounds of golf do you need to skip to be able to buy one of these types of properties? I was like, okay, that's fair. That's fair. I love it. I love it. No, uh, seriously. I was part of the cohort of the coffee counting the penny count I'm, you know what life is too short for that i'm not about that life anymore i'm done with it <laughs> no it isn't yeah that's absolutely right and it doesn't have to be that way if you have other resources and a lot of times you don't even realize that they're there but the most common and the most feasible is going to be static equity we're all called to be good stewards with the things that we've been blessed with and as this market has improved, but it goes back to when you bought the home, you made a great investment. You put yourself in a great position, but I don't want to say it in a, in a judgmental way, but if you're not maximizing that opportunity, you're squandering what you've been blessed with. So that money is just sitting there. It's not doing anything. Those talents are doing anything. They're being, it's like the cash stuffed in the mattress. It is not doing anything for you. So where I've found with spouses who are kind of hesitant is let's present this in a way that puts our family in a position where we're not going to, we're not going to put anything at risk or we're not going to take high risk. So that's a great example where you don't have a mortgage. You can take out a HELOC up to 80% of the value of the home. So maybe you don't do that. Maybe you just do 30%. So we're, the, and one of the things I don't want to mention, cause I talk about being able to do purchase deals over a million dollars or, but the first mortgage as high as it is at 726, you can go it to 800,000. My average loan amount is really about 480,000. So everybody, the, and I primarily deal with people that are buying in destination areas. So our average deal is between four and $600,000. So if we took the $500,000 deal, 10% down, that's $50,000. I tell people, you really need to budget 20% cash. So that's 10% down payment, three to 5% for closing costs and the ready, the rest to make the property excellent. So it performs well, it cash flows, it stands out in the crowd. You don't feel like you've really got to pinch pennies to make this property special. You've got the resources that you need to make it happen. So 20%, so a hundred thousand. So let's say your house is worth 400,000. You take out a hundred thousand dollar line of credit. You still got tons of equity that you're not even touching. You're just going to leave it stagnant. So let's look at the product. What's the risk on the product? So the reason why I like the HELOC, whether you don't have a mortgage or you do have a mortgage, is it's a way to isolate that debt. And then the burden of repayment isn't on your personal finances. It's on the performance of the property. So as you're running numbers, those numbers should show that it's going to cover expenses plus payback the draw on the line of credit. It's not going to come from your paycheck. It's not going to come from you skipping cups of coffee so you can pay back the line of credit. 
it's going to come from the short-term rental income. So the typical product on a HELOC, the way it's structured is the payment is amortized over 30 years. So $100,000 amortized over 30 years, that's a pretty low liability. That's a very low payment. And then the first 10 years, the required payment on most products is interest only for the first 10 years. So it's going to be minimized even more. And then that first 10 years is your draw period where let's say you have the $100,000 line of credit, you take out the $100,000. As you pay it back, it becomes that whatever's available you can redraw from. But I tell clients all the time, let's be aggressive, let's pay it off, and then we can reuse it, go out and do it again. But let's say you have the $100,000 line of credit, you only draw $50,000, you're only paying on the $50,000. So if you can show your spouse, hey, we can minimize our liability, we can keep equity in the home, we don't have to touch it all, we're still going to have plenty there. And then we're going to find a property that's going to, we're going to put the burden of repayment on the property. So what that looks like is you buy the property, the property has its own bank account in a different bank, typically than where you have your personal bank accounts for liability reasons, but the, every, all the income from the property goes into that bank account and then all expenses are paid out of the bank account, including that line of credit. So it's not coming from your personal checking, your personal savings. Did I convince anybody? I absolutely love that conversation because a lot of it is strategizing and strategy and understanding how to rethink about our assets, how to rethink about our liability, how to rethink about revenue that we have sitting right there. <laughs> Yeah, an opportunity that's sitting right there. And so I think that that's a great conversation. But I again, I know it's it takes two to tangle. So definitely getting that buy in from your spouse, your husband, I think is so important because that's what makes the process work. But I really like the way you shared isolating out that HELOC and putting that burden of that HELOC on the short-term rental. Now does the numbers make sense still? So that HELOC's going to have to do some heavy lifting and flexing its arm, flexing its muscle to, to get that paid off along with the mortgage on the short-term rental. So a great way to think about it for sure. It was, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, and so the other thing that I would touch on is 401k. So I never recommend that you cash out a 401k because the tax implications are just way too expensive, but maybe it does make sense to borrow against a 401k. So in that case, you just want to check with the administrator, whoever that is, Fidelity or one of those types of companies and find out what the terms of the repayment are. But basically you're going to be able to borrow up to X amount or X percentage of the overall fund. And then you're going to pay yourself back with interest. So that can be a great tool to, yeah. to, to use, to, to go out and acquire these cash flow producing properties. The way that I bought my second property is I had some old 401ks sitting out there. I consolidated those into a self-directed IRA. And then I used a non-recourse loan, which I don't do those, but if you want to send me a message, I can tell you who I use. 
And 50% of the purchase came from my self-directed IRA. The other 50% came from the non-recourse loan. And I was able to buy a golf course cabin in the Smokies in Arkansas that had a 10-year history as a a short-term rental. So that can be another avenue for people to utilize maybe some money that's just sitting there. And I'll tell you, this year, more than ever, I'm so glad that I have that money in real estate instead of sitting there in the stock market. So yeah, it's, it's the well. Yeah. Well, and that was a situation where you have the spouse element in the equation. And I was talking to my wife on a date night one night about doing this. And she was like, I don't know. I don't know about thinking out retirement funds. And I told her, I just don't trust wall street. The next day, all the GameStop and the Reddit stuff or the GameStop stuff happened. Yes. That was volatile. Yeah, it was all over social media. And she was like, oh, is this what you're talking about? I was like, exactly. And she said, okay, let's go for it. So, yeah. So, so the connection, and this is such an important conversation because this is the first time we've heard this about the spouses. So the connection, having that conversation at date night, not being pushy, but just sharing with them your thoughts and showing them, right? Sometimes you just got to show them, okay, this is the growth we have seen in our revenue when the property or the revenue, the investment is placed in this bucket versus the growth we can potentially see, especially if you know your numbers and you can share some evidence of what the market has done in the past. I think that would give a little bit more buy-in. I know it did for us. Once my husband saw the numbers, not only on a spreadsheet, but in real time and (laughs) the checks started coming in, he's like head of operations. He's all in, all in. And so the numbers don't lie. And the thing that, you know, to your point of being a part of communities is you could present an idea, (laughs) but sometimes it needs to be confirmed. So you may bring something up and then they hear a podcast or they hear an interview and go, you know what, that thing you were talking about? Yeah, I think that's awesome. And it's just because they need confirmation. They need to hear that it wasn't just kind of this fly by the seat of your pants idea that you had, that people are doing these things and they're being successful. And you only get that through community. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you for reinforcing that. What if you buy a second home and a year later you move into it? Yeah, that wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's uh, after that first year, it's an owner occupied property anyway. So if you decided you wanted to live in it full time, that wouldn't be a problem. Jeff is around in the community. He's in the general Facebook group. He's a part of the private Facebook group as well. And he's very active and responsive. So feel free to tap him on the virtual shoulder. You have no idea how grateful I am that you all are here with us. Do new build loans qualify for 10% down? Yeah, they can. So the second home occupancy loan does have a minimum down payment of 10%. The bank that I'm with requires 20%. But there are, I couldn't tell you what the opportunity is, but if you look at the Fannie Mae requirements, 
it is 10% down on a second home construction loan. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. So a construction loan, like the ground up or a part of, I guess, a vetted community that's being built, that's something to take into consideration, I'm sure. So that's great news as well. So that's exciting. Awesome. Okay. So follow up. So talking about some areas in Georgia, actually. So one, she lives in Jacksonville, Florida, but the family is in Cairo, Georgia, and they're looking to purchase in Thomasville, Georgia. So I think I've heard of Thomasville, but I hadn't heard of Cairo. Yeah. So that's, they want to, they live in Jacksonville. They want to travel up to Cairo or the other place that you mentioned once a month. Yeah. Uh, that absolutely. So they're like 19 minutes apart. I just mapped it. So 14 miles away. Okay. From so the they, live, they live in Jacksonville and they want to buy something up in Georgia. Yes. So they Cairo, can be Georgia, close to near family that's in Thomasville. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that totally would fit in the 10% down second home occupancy loan box. So this is the one where Melinda said, since her husband's family lives there, then it wouldn't qualify for the 10%. No, that's where it actually even makes more sense because you have a purpose to go and visit and stay in that area. You're going to go and visit family that you have in the area. So the fact that she lives in Jacksonville is pretty much the determining factor that she's purchasing a second home because it's it paints more of a compelling, yeah, it paints more of a compelling picture. Okay. So again, there's no distance requirement, but you know, if you're writing an explanation to an underwriter, that makes a more compelling argument or demonstrates that, yeah, this is a place where we come and visit. And this is the reason why we come and visit this area and stay from time to time. And in this case, once a month is even more compelling. Okay. So I wonder why she got the pushback for the the fact that her husband's family lived there. So that's part of the conversation that we're having a little bit earlier with really understanding the caveats involved with the second home loan. It may very well be a lender that doesn't understand all of the all of the benefits that are available and at your disposal. So well, here was my experience, Rachel, is that when we got into the space and we started doing deals and we got pushback from underwriters because their lack of knowledge, we were able to combat their objections because we did have the correct understanding. And it went to the point where on a couple of situations, they reached out to Fannie Mae and Fannie Mae said, you know what? The loan officer is correct in their understanding. So. Oh. Knowledge can absolutely be so powerful oh, because, and it, like contracts, if you don't know the policy and an underwriter says, you know what, that can't convey or it can't be a short-term rental and the loan officer doesn't know the policy, they're like, oh gosh, well, okay. And the loan gets denied because they don't have the correct understanding and knowledge. Wow, that's amazing. And again, I cannot tell how proud I am of putting this community together where we can dispel any of the myths 
and the roadblocks that can stand in our way. Because one thing I say to the community is everything is figure outable. And I'm so grateful to have you as a part of the community. She's going to be dumping her Linder and contacting you. I yeah. the under the- <laughs> Sorry if you're here, Linder, watching, but... No, just, look, I said what I said. That's what she said. So that is hilarious. Yeah. So that is pretty much the community we've curated. And the reason Jeff is here, guys, is because he has the heart of a teacher. I love having him here with us. He teaches, he shares information. There's no hard pitch or anything. You walk away more knowledgeable than before. You walk away with a deeper understanding and with things to ponder on and think about. Even I walked away with more knowledge because I didn't know about the 10% down for the construction or the new builds. I always learn something when I am a part of this community. So we're going to wrap up, Jeff. Any final words, anything that you want to plug in? I know we've got your podcast, which I'm super excited about. I love the micro podcast, like bite-sized chunks. My community loves bite-sized chunks. So I think that's perfect. No, it's, yeah, so much fun to equip people with this type of information because we've just seen people take that and it it propels them to take action. And ultimately, we have to live lives of taking action, not just talking about doing things and having hopes and dreams and taking them to the grave. It's so much fun to be that catalyst to, to propel people to go out there and do the things that will lead to significance and we've got people watching us whether it's our children or friends or the people in our our circles that you never know who you're going to inspire to do significant things at different levels so yeah i'm here to help and so grateful to be a part of this community and we are so grateful to have you as our resource as our resident expert for second home loans. And thank you for always giving the information to the people. A massive thank you to you, Jeff. I so appreciate you all for entrusting me with your short-term rental journey. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye for now.